go. Hello. Hello. La, la, la. Hi, all. Welcome. It is Monday night. Generational change. Happy New Year. I'm Jen. Merry New Year. Merry New Year. He always Happy. said to me, that's like you said that to me. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever said it to you, but I've definitely said that one, guys. The what's it? The gif of of Eddie Murphy in trading places <laughs> on the train. Yes. Yeah, it was Merry New Year. It was so funny. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And it wasn't <laughs> uh it wasn't the merriest of New Year's, but that is because 2023 can only get better. I truly believe that. I know everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do my New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, I don't do resolutions. Why not? Because I just. You're just bad at it. You'll break it easily. No, I just, if there's something I want to do, I just do it. I don't need to like have a resolution to do it. I'll just do it. I don't know. I like, that's just not something I do. Well, my New Year's was uh, quite interesting. Uh, my late grandfather, as he is now, Passed away on New Year's. He was 36 hours away from being 95, which is quite impressive. 95 trips around the sun, which is today. So I made a social media post in honor of him. But uh, my grandfather, Sonny, uh, he was a good man. And he was the embodiment of the working man, as I always like to say. He was a trade unionist, specifically. Uh, he was a postal worker. He was also a man, uh, cabbie in New York, and he also was a World War II and Korean War veteran. So he uh, led quite the life, uh, married to uh, my late grandmother for 70 years. And I didn't realize we were doing obituaries today because I can do one on, on Barbara Walters. I didn't realize we were doing it. Wow. Am I not uh, allowed to just- No, but I mean, you're, it sounds like you're just reading it. I mean, I understand you wanting to talk about your grandfather for sure, but the way you're like name, the way you're just going through it, it's like, it sounds like you're reading an obituary. Well, I'm not reading an obit. I'm okay. just making it up. It's like, well, I'm not making, I'm just- It's not a made up story I've met. Anyway, I'm, fi I'm, I'm finished now. Cause clearly I can't, <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk. No, share about how, talk about him and what do you want, but it just sounded like you were reading an obituary. No, it did not. It, it did. People- did it sound like he was reading an obituary? Well, there isn't enough people here to comment. I like Grandpa so. Sonny. He was cool. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he was uh, somebody who, uh, when, when we talk about the things that we're fighting for in the political arena, no question whatsoever that he is the embodiment of that person that we fight for. The working class, the working man, the guy who didn't want for much in life just to have the simple things. He loved going to the track. Definitely not him. woke. Far from it. <laughs> oh, Regular yeah. people. Far from it. Uh, and he had, uh, you know, just really working class sensibilities all his life. And, you know, as we, as Jen likes to point out, as I will point out as well, uh, towards the end, it wasn't so good. But, you know, for a long time, it was. And he kind of defied reality in he so many ways. He defied the laws of physics. He did. Didn't drink water. Didn't eat vegetables. Didn't exercise. Ever. Was a heavy smoker for many years. <laughs> But he didn't drink and he didn't he quit smoking a long time ago. And he always had a horrible, lot of interesting horrible things to share. nutrition. Like definitely this should not be like used in any sort of cautionary tale for people. Yeah, his definition of uh diet, or at least in terms of what he would eat, would be uh fried chicken wings or uh well done uh hamburger with a diet coke. Oh, and French fries. Remember those? Well, that's important. So, <laughs> Nothing green. Not a thing. And not even mint chocolate chip ice cream. That'd be the closest <laughs> thing to green that you're going to get. So, yeah, he, he lived uh, – he's definitely – he, he was a good guy. And uh, I will miss him. 
And so and he wasn't running for office. That's the thing. He doesn't need the support. He doesn't yeah. need the support. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a uh, part of my New Year's and that's how much I'll share for now. Okay. Uh, how about you? Any particular well, person that you want to talk about? Well, Barbara. 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 Don't make fun of Barbara Walters. I'm going to make fun of the way Barbara Walters does. No, first of all, that's Cherry? horrible. You make her sound like you make Nancy Pelosi sound. It's just Did you ever good. hear the way that, did you ever see Cherry O'Terry on of Saturday Night Live? She was great at that. Yeah, it's hilarious. Gilda Radner. Barbara Walters. No, and Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner did her as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Was well, cool. you know, because I'm kind of young. And I'm- yeah, Barbara Walters. <laughs> Barbara Walters was very, very special. So, I, you know, this Why was is she somebody. Special? Well, I mean, Barbara Walters, I can't even fathom what she had to deal with as a woman in journalism and in a newsroom when she was. And like, you want to talk about like filthy harassment, disgusting. Like I, the only thing, like we're talking worse than what Ruth Bader Ginsburg had to endure at law school. (laughs) Like this was bad. And Barbara was just, she wasn't having any of their nonsense. And she just, she was a pioneer. And she was one of those people that just, if it weren't for people like her, you know, it's like, there wouldn't be women in journalism like there are now. Uh, she was amazing. It was quite interesting also the fact that she, uh, they had released a clip. I just happened to have caught the clip that they did on NBC News regarding what it was like for her in the early 70s when she was, oh. you know, or even in the late 60s, I should say. I can't even. When she was really getting her start. And we're talking about, keep in mind, we're talking about old crotchety white men that were born in the 19th century that were basically there looking at this woman like, who the hell do you think you are even being well, here? that in an atmosphere that probably would put people like Harvey Weinstein to shame. Oh. And and things that, ne- like, nobody talked about it then. Like, look how long it took for that to come out about that. But the crap that someone like Barbara Walters had to put up with in, in, in any sort of news, like, even just being taken seriously, I can't, you know... Yeah, balls on her. I could definitely see the case where in those days, especially, that it was almost like an unwritten rule that the women that were hired, and Mm. Barbara Walters was a looker when she was young. Yeah, she was attractive. There's no question that very often, and, you know, she'll probably never talk about it, but there may have been instances Well, she definitely won't talk about it now. No. But she may have felt in certain circumstances that she may have needed to do certain things that she clearly did not want to do or felt that it was necessary. But what you have to remember is that it was sort of this unwritten rule with certain, you know, big wigs in the news business where if you're a woman, you're working there and that big wig makes an advance on you and you turn it down. Well, guess what? You're probably out of a job. You know, I, I put her to me. She's like in this category with people. Like I think of Joan Rivers in terms of Mm -hmm. like what she was for stand-up comedy for women. I mean, you know, that was someone who was joking about abortion when it wasn't even legal. And I think of people like Barbara Walters very much the same way. Like these are just women that are just so having to deal with crap head on that I just can't, you know, kudos. Like I, I just, I was always a fan of Barbara Walters, always as a journalism person. Like she was always a big deal to me. Barbara Walters was an equal opportunist uh, aggressor with whomever she was interviewing. She made a lot of friends. She made a lot of enemies, but she certainly was somebody who valued journalism as much as anybody, especially at that level, which is very hard to maintain. But she, she had- made everybody cry. Uh, well, the whole thing with her making Patrick Swayze cry. It wasn't, jo- oh, it wasn't but just that Patrick one Swayze. Was, well, because Patrick Swayze was, con- you know, he, he, no one had ever seen him cry like that. She danced with him. She danced with, and but, she had the time of her Oh my life. God, no, but you know what her biggest crush was? Her biggest crush, her 
hardest interview to her to do where she could not keep it together was Clint Eastwood. That mm. was her like biggest, like where she was like blushing the entire time. Well, it paid off, but nevertheless, anyway. a legacy that has oh, been yeah. lived. Maybe not as big a les- legacy as Grandpa Sonny, but Barbara Walters did a great <laughs> show. So without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome our guest for the evening. It will be quite the conversation. Um, maybe I'll do an impression. Maybe I won't. We'll see. I don't I'll know. I don't know. I don't know if if Tyrell needs you mocking. Don't be, see, he wants I'm not to do mocking. Jesse imitation. It's not mocking, it's a form of flattery. Is I think I if it were, yeah, I don't know. It is. Okay. It is. But it is 2023. Uh, the world hasn't ended yet, but it could end any minute. We all know that. So let's talk about how we prevent that from happening and lots more wonderful, wonderful stuff. God, you know, from RT America, he is definitely a real trailblazer on the populist left which is where we all should be. Tyrell Ventura, welcome back to Generational Change. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy 2023 and all of the above. Uh, pardon if you hear the the wild dogs I have that I live with. Um, they're never uh, quite uh, happy when I, when I leave the room to sit down and do podcasts and interviews and that kind of thing. What happens if you let them in? Uh, then they jump all over me and then uh, we get nothing but cuteness points. Okay, but long. but they're not like dingoes. <laughs> like when you say wild dogs, you just like the dingo ate your baby. How did I know you? No, no, no. <laughs> Thankfully, not dingoes. Just a uh, a Norwegian elk hound and <gasps> a uh, wonderful uh, boshi, which I didn't know what a boshi was until they're both rescues. And what uh, is a boshi? A boshi is a is a Boston Terrier mixed with a Shih Tzu. <gasps> and okay, he's got one brown eye, be, one blue eye. That's eyes. gotta be just adorable. He is Pooh Bear is 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 quite the Pooh dog. Bear. He's been with me for seven years since I started doing watching the Hawks. Is when he came into my life, and uh, he's I he's a shooting star. I love I love Pooh Bear. We're such dog people. Like we'll, we'll we canvas. Oh, yeah. We know, we'll remember everybody's dogs more than we remember the people. <laughs> I always say about when it comes to dogs, Bill Murray has the best line of all time, which is, "I don't trust any person who doesn't like a dog, but I trust any dog that doesn't like a person. Oh yeah. If so. my dog doesn't like someone, forget them. Yeah. Oh, that's over then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're out the door. Like, that, <laughs> that's a deal breaker. <laughs> Please tell me the name of your show. I can only yes. see part of it. I want to put it in the description. So everybody it's got see. your nice solidarity thing. Also. Yeah. Are it's you, uh, well, we, are we you do, uh, in the cannabis? Well, by what? Are you in partaking the in the cannabis? No, this is, this is a cigarette. I'm, oh, I'm still a no, smoker. that's so disappointing to me. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I got excited no, okay. for a second. I no. I would. I would. I would never partake in the cannabis and go on. Go on the show. That's. Uh, it's for private use only. No, actually. Um, no, I've been a smoker for a while. It's kind of held over from my years in Hollywood when you're on set and you have and you're standing right. A lot of film work is hurry up and wait. And yeah. so uh, while you're waiting, you end up sparking a cigarette and get into really interesting conversations and, and things like that. I won't name drop because I'm trying to remain humble. Um, no, and you and you are. I, and I oh, just, you, hey, listen, you worked with one of the biggest stars. So, you know, you I just I am a partaker in the cannabis and I generally don't. Good. 
I don't, well, I don't partake when we're interviewing people unless they are partaking in the cannabis because oh, I, I feel totally like ruins your, t- I totally ruins your ability to get high and do the show. No, I'm, I'm already sorry. high. <laughs> I'm already high. It's all good. Okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. the straight guy. In the He's very, yeah. He says straight. I say square. Yeah. Square. There you go. No, we, uh, okay. I'm, uh, uh, this is, uh, the show die first, then quit. Uh, it's uh, me and my father's Substack page, uh, where you can get any and everything. Shameless plug. You can get any and everything uh, Jesse Ventura related, a little bit of my musings, uh, his musings. We got video, podcasts, written articles. It's it's the hub of all things uh, Jesse Ventura and myself. Uh, now that uh, we are no longer watching the Hawks and doing the RT thing, uh, that is where you can find any and everything in regards to the Venturas is on Substack. And Has there always first, been video? Has there always been video? No, it 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 okay. kind of it started around the same time we we joined Substack last spring, uh, okay. and it was one of the appealing things about it because Jesse's always been, you know, as you know, his entire career has always been in front of a camera, and one of his like best ways to relate to the audience is is being able to see him, not just hear him. And uh, so when they when we were talking with Substack and they and they uh, said, yeah, we're about to roll out. Uh, you know, being able to upload video and do things like that. Uh, it kind of really sweetened the deal to join and, and start uh, publishing on, and be a publisher on Substack because you can, you can kind of attack stories or thoughts or ideas from all three different men, you know, sources. Now you can do, the, like I said, you can do audio with podcasts, you can do video interviews, things of that nature. And uh, it's bread and butter, which is the articles that you can find there. So for us, it was a, a brilliant way to, uh, att- like I said, attack stories from a lot of different angles uh, and, and get Jesse's kind of philosophies out there in, in, in three different ways on one platform, which is you can't really, there's not a lot of platforms that allow you to kind of do that uh, in publishing online these days. You, you kind of got to pick one uh, or have like multiples where Substack has all three. That and also you don't have the algorithm censorship issue on a place like Substack that we no. have on YouTube. So so and that's and that is something that I I see as a benefit of being a member based service. Like, yes, you have it's it's definitely um, smaller, but mm-hmm. you get better. You get better, better information. Like I, I was just talking about that before we came on. I'm going to have to just do it. I haven't. I feel like I'm, I'm like, I have so many things that I have to follow and watch and whatever. And so like, and I haven't, but there's so much uncensored good stuff over there. Um, and I also have to ask you this. Okay. Do you always call your dad, Jesse? <laughs> when I'm, uh, uh, when I'm with my father, uh, as, as son, uh, and we're just being a family, then it's dad. Okay. Um, when I, the, the Jesse thing started many, 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 many years ago when I was about 19 and right after he had won governor, I was, you know, my, my passion in my life, uh, since I was eight years old was always storytelling at that point in time, it was filmmaking. And that was what I truly, that was my true passion. And so I had gotten hired to do a, uh, PSA for Minnesota state colleges and universities. And and they wanted Jesse to be the spokesperson because he was governor. And so we were on set and, you know, I got my director hat on and then we're putting the shots together and we're shooting away. And, and, uh, 
<laughs> at one point I was like, dad, you know, can you move over? And when you hit your mark here, you'll deliver the line. And, uh, he kind of pulled me aside and said, uh, Ty, um, it's, uh, it's a little, uh, weird for me to have the director call me dad. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's just throwing me off. Uh, could you, could you call me Jesse? Is that okay? <laughs> and so I said, sure. And it kind of, I realized that in, in a professional setting, it, you know, you don't want someone running around saying, Hey dad, you know, do this. Um, and so ever since that day, I always, whenever it's kind of professional, whenever it's a professional setting, I always refer to my, my father as Jesse. Uh, plus it's easier for people to know who the hell I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> no, it makes sense. It's just funny. And by the way, you do a pretty good version of your, his is not as good. You can well, fire away. Version, it's okay. My version is much more like he's in the wrestling arena right now talking about these terrible people and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Tell him it's terrible. It's all right. It's all right. You're, you're bordering on Trump right. for a minute. All right. There. Uh, <laughs> right. It, but he, cause he also does Trump. And so I think that happens where sometimes he'll cross characters. Isn't it really terrible when kids take advantage of their parents of fortune and, just run off with it. Not that I would know. <laughs> Not that I would know. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, no, I, you know what? I, 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 I stumbled upon impersonating my father when uh, me and my friends were, were down in Mexico and we were, we were there, we were watching Predator and, uh, <laughs> and I had seen the movie about 200 times, maybe more. Um, and, I kind of, I just randomly read, read, said one of my dads, like, you know, you lose it here. You're in a world of hurt. And that pretty much set off the party. Uh, Cause everyone's like, wow, that's really good. And I kind of was like, well, I hope so. Um, we share, we share the same genetic vocal cords. I hope I can do an impersonation of my father. <laughs> right. No, you definitely have a similar sound and you still, and you have a sort of that Minnesota sound too. Like there is that, that vibe to his accent for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. You know, you always get asked, uh, you know, how, how accurate is Fargo? You know, the film Fargo with, oh, oh yeah, don't you know? Oh yeah, you betcha. Um, and what I realized is if you're in, if you're in Minneapolis and you're in the city, uh, the oh yeahs turned to yeah yeah oh yeah yeah I'll get that done yeah um, whereas if the moment you step outside the city and get into the right. country a little bit the yeah turns into a yah very quickly <laughs> uh, so you know Fargo's pretty accurate I I have a friend from Winnipeg and mm. um, her right and her accent is not that different. So it's, no. it's, it's a very similar, yeah, it's a very similar sound. Cause every once in a while she's like, she'll have like this Fargo sound to her. I just think that's interesting. Every, every Canadian I meet now, I pretty much like, I, I do the same thing that, that they do to Minnesotans, which is it's terrible. I shouldn't do it. But every Canadian I meet now, I'm like, so how accurate is Letterkenny? You know, the, that show on Hulu, which is hilarious. I'm like, how, how accurate is that? Is that, is that really what it's like up there? It must have been very interesting growing up with a father that had a uh, crossover into, uh, you know, two major entertainment fields. But I, I think the most appropriate question, because your father is one of the most renowned professional wrestlers of all time. So you really had a lot of exposure to the way that, you know, McMahon in particular orchestrated his system, the way that uh, Bischoff did his system. Uh, can you compare the similarities between the way professional wrestling operates to the way professional politicians operate? <laughs> Such theater. Um, 
I would say that probably professional wrestling is much more honest uh, about, <laughs> about about who who's the villain, who's the good guy. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's probably the same amount of soap opera drama, uh, the same uh, amount of over the top performances. Uh, but honestly, like at least with wrestling, you pretty much know who the villains and who the heroes are. We're in politics. You know, somebody can come up and be like, wow, this this person's got some serious, like, great ideas. And then they completely let you down once they're in office. Um, it's very similar to politics, I think, in that behind the scenes, I think a lot of the fight you see in politics, maybe not as much today. Oh, I mean, a lot of the fight you see in politics, I think, is a lot of it is, 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 is pure theater, uh, yeah. especially when it comes to, like, you know, passing laws that that cater to the to the upper one percent in, in corporate america you know both parties pretty much are lockstep especially when it comes also to, to the military industrial complex and so though these two parties will kind of sit and bicker and fight and talk about how much they hate each other and how we don't get along and that 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 like wrestling uh they're still going out and having dinner in the same restaurants uh they're getting courted by the same lobbyists their buddy buddy off camera uh, especially when it comes to very specific, uh, important issues in this country. That's why you, it, it doesn't matter who's president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, you'll see foreign policy doesn't really shift. It doesn't really change all that much, regardless of who's in office. And, and that, to me, is a, is a pretty good example of where, you know, wrestling and, and politics are similar, uh, is that, you know, backstage, they don't hate each other. Not, not to the extent that they pretend to be on TV. Um, because at the end of the day, they're paid off by the same corporate interests, both parties, you know, the same lobbyists are at both conventions <laughs> every year. Um, and because, you know, it's hedging their bets, doesn't matter which party's really in control because ultimately, I mean, you, you'll get differences, I think on social issues and things of that nature, obviously, um, you know, you'll see much more party lines when it comes to the vote and what people get behind. But when it comes to the, the the business of America, for lack of a better term, when it comes to that kind of, you know, the awful foreign policy that we practice, uh, when it comes to the military industrial complex, uh, when it comes to Wall Street, when it comes to things like this, major those two parties are very lockstep. They might differ on the fringes, but ultimately when it comes to those things, which directly affect uh, taxpayers far more quickly even than some of the social aspects um, in terms of trying to live the American dream, uh, you know, that's where a lot of the real problems lie. And I think that's where actually wrestling and, and politics are very similar. But yeah, I mean, I prefer wrestling uh, because, you know, I'm paying them my money to put on a show. Uh, politics puts on a show and takes my money and and, and spends it on things that I, I absolutely detest. Yeah. No, they're all friends. They're all everybody because this is a class war and we don't have a labor party. Yep. So those two parties are inevitably funneling the same. They're just spewing different crap. But but all roads lead to the same exact thing. And I think that what you're saying about foreign policy is true. But I also think it's domestic policy. Nothing changes, mm -hmm. really. No, I mean, no, it if really anything, doesn't. the money is just it's been siphoning more and more and more. The wars have never going to stop because our what we do is war. Make I mean, like that's our only real industry here is is arms. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's never going to change. And so, you know, never. well, as, lo- as long as we're dealing with the two parties that are there, like going back and forth between um, we're talking about the similarities between these two parties. That's what I'm saying. So it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter to a lot of extent who has the majority in Congress. It's like this big theater and nothing. And all that's happening is money's getting siphoned to the top and the wars are continuing. Yeah. That's what oh, I yeah. see. That, no, and I, I agree completely. That's that's all you see uh, happening pretty much on a constant. I, I would say you'd have to go back probably until in and around the JFK assassination. Uh, that's what he always said. A little bit said. before that. It, 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 before that, I think you had, you know, at least some differences going on. But, you know, once the JFK assassination took place, if you really pay, I mean, maybe Carter's administration, uh, you know, uh, maybe. Um, but ultimately, you know, these two parties are pretty much lockstep when it comes to the, to the, you know, to the issues that you just laid out. And that's heartbreaking, you know, and that, but that's what happens when you're given the choice between Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> you know? I mean, ultimately, you know, it's the same cola. It's both fizzy, uh, but the, you know, the colors are different and the mascots are different. You know, and, I would and, argue and, Pepsi and Coke are more different than Democrats and Republicans, <laughs> actually. I can actually taste the difference between a Coke and a Pepsi. I, I, no, I'm well, serious. I mean, I think I think that you could, I mean, I, I put it like this on certain social issues. I think that the, the parties are very different on, on certain yeah. social issues. Obviously, when we talk about things like the right, you know, the, you know, pro-choice and and things like that nature. Um, you know, I think on a lot of those issues that the, the, I think there's enough people uh, in the two parties that kind of you know, clearly they're not lockstep. But those are also the issues that while wildly important. Um, they love kind of playing up those two issues as kind of like a, a sleight of hand trick. You know, let's get people distracted by this over here. Not that it's not important, shouldn't be focused on. But if we can kind of keep people battling over social issues, it distracts them from how lockstep we are when it comes to the business of government. And I use that term in regards to the siphoning of blue collar and and middle class wealth in this country, when it comes to the military industrial complex and things like that, like we don't ever want them to think about that. Uh, So it's easier to kind of distract them uh, with the, the important social issues that we're dealing with in this country on a cultural level and on a law level. Um, like I said, I don't mean to kind of water down. I don't mean to, to, to say that those aren't important, but if you notice all of the energy is put towards that, none of the energy is put towards shining a light on the corruption within our government of both parties or on the corruption of the military industrial complex on the corruption of wall street and the siphoning of wealth in this country that constantly flows upwards rather than outward or even down, you know, downward, it's never going to flow, but geez, even if you could just get it to, to spread outward a little bit, uh, they're never going to allow that. Um, sorry, I go off on a tangent. But, no, no, no. Uh, and I think that you know. the Democrats, it's, I think it's even worse than them. Um, just sort of like using it for, I mean, that's their source of fundraising. I actually think that that's the reason they never bothered codifying it. I think that they always put it off because they always knew that when they totally screw the working class and the economy, that they'll always be able to dangle that and scare us with the big bad Republicans taking away our right to choose. I also think that they were very generous in approving um, Republican appointed judges and didn't fight at all to get um, judges appointed that would have been more favorable to that. So, you know, they, they can say that they're so different on those issues, but then I see 
when the same week Roe versus Wade is overturned, where's Nancy Pelosi? Oh, she's down in San Antonio campaigning for Henry Cuellar against Jessica Cisneros. And he is an anti-choice Democrat. So it's like, then you don't get to then say that you're the pro. I mean, I, I'm just, they could say they're pro-choice all they want. I don't see them doing anything for that. So then at what point does that even matter? Great point. Great points across the board, because that that's the again, that goes back to the theater of politics in this country. You know, we we're really great at theater. We're really great at marketing. Like the two parties are great at marketing. You know, they're great at putting on the show of 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 politics. Yeah. But when it comes down to there's very few of them that actually, I believe, are there to enact real change for the better in this country. Uh, they might think, I don't think that they sit, I don't think a bulk of like the party members sit around thinking like, how evil can we be today? How can we fuck over the working right. class today? Uh, I don't think that that's where their brain goes, but I think that they are living in a bubble uh, that is very much controlled by their party leaders and their party bosses who then, if you follow that chain of money, are then controlled by X, Y, and Z uh, you know, big money corporate donors or big money individuals who want to see the country continue to go in a certain direction that lines their pockets and insulates their power. Um, and so, you know, and, and plus once you get into that kind of group think that is Capitol Hill, uh, it's, it's much the same way, uh, you don't see, it's much the same way that even like it, for a real world example, let's say you see something bad happen on the job depending on who's committing the bad act in the job, you might speak up about it. You might not speak up about it because you don't want to lose your job. And you know, if the, you got into Capitol Hill, you need that party money to get reelected every season, right? You can't sit and like start rattling the bells and saying, Hey, there's a bunch going wrong here and start naming names and calling it out because guess what party's going to ostracize you and you're not going to get those dollars to get reelected because why too many people, uh, on Capitol Hill have turned it into a career rather than a public service. You know, they live up there. How many, I mean, and I mean, that gets into the whole issue of term limits and things like that. But I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you do have far too many politicians who are making a career out of what should be a, I'm going to do some public good. I'm going to do some public service. And then I'm going to go back to the private sector. Yeah. Well, we always say that. Yeah, you tend to see that a lot more on the Republican side, where they basically mm -hmm. go there for an X amount of years, and then they'll find their way into the private sector. Because very often on the GOP side, you tend to have more people that have the skills that are you know, prevalent within the private sector. The Democratic side tends to have people that are generally, you know, I mean, our Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz is the, one of the best examples of a total career politician who has no real world skills outside of being a career politician. And yeah. that's a big problem. And it's one of the big reasons why they make no effort whatsoever to change anything. Why would they? I, the job is so unbelievably lucrative. You, you, great point. And I always try to look at like anytime I look at people, I don't I don't try to paint them in a evil versus good. Or at least if I see somebody who's making like awful decisions that I detest, like Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I always try to understand the psychology behind it, because to me, that's like, OK, like, why would somebody make decisions like this? You know, why? What what drives them? Because if I just paint them with the brush of, oh, well, they're a, a shitty human being and an evil person, which their actions might are probably that. But you got to understand why. Well, I think I think we're, we're 
tapping on it right here is that this is a person who lives in a bubble, who is in that groupthink of Washington, and who is completely there to maintain their status and their position. They're not making decisions for the good of the American people anymore. They're making the decisions for the good of themselves. Oh. And then the moment that you have that decision-making take over, that's where you get terrible politicians like a Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You know, I don't, I would hope that she doesn't go to bed every night thinking like, Ooh, how can I lie to my base today? How can I insulate corporate power within the democratic party today? I hope that she doesn't go to bed thinking like that. I don't, I imagine she doesn't because most people that I've met who are absolutely awful when it comes to policy or absolutely greedy, when it comes to that corruption we're talking about, they don't see it. They're blind to it. They're so wrapped up in that system that they think that, oh, well, this is how you do business. This is, this is how you get policy done. This is how you do, this is how government works. You know, and, and it's sad, really, when you see folks like that, uh, you know, and, and so, I, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it ultimately, at the end of the day, the real problem is, is that you still, it still comes down to voters. It still comes down to the populace. Yeah, you have some shitty choices out there, but guess what? Everybody can still run for office. And if you keep voting for the shittiest of two evil, if you keep voting for the smaller evil of two evils, you're still going to get evil. It's an old George Carlin bit, you know, garbage in, garbage out. There's still a reflection of our society because we don't have the best and the brightest running for office. We don't have people out there who are, who are, uh, you know, truly trying to enact change, or if they do get in there, they get so overwhelmed by the system because, again, you know, I, I saw this example with my father when he was governor. You know, a whole wonderful amount of people come in and vote for him and things like that, but then the, the people have to keep the pressure on because you can vote for the populist candidate, but then if they get in there and if for a minute, those, you know, the enemies you're trying to take down, those those walls you're trying to take down, if they smell that the people aren't with you 24-7, uh, then they'll just kind of cast you aside and not worry about you because they don't feel the strength behind you anymore. So if you do get good candidates in office, you have to continue, you have to be vigilant uh, as voters to continue to support them, call them out if you disagree with something maybe that they do, but you got to continue to support those candidates that are truly there to do the business for you and to, and, and to represent you and not and not some faceless corporation or, or, or the, the one of the parties. Um, because they have to know that you have the will of the people behind you. And if they believe that you've lost that, uh, then you're marginalized and ignored. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I think being um, in that kind of world of, uh, you know, pro wrestling, if you will, I think that that's what served Trump so well and also serves your father well is the ability. Uh, there's all the old uh, cachet of uh, any publicity is good publicity, but keeping your name relevant at all times is a very powerful tool. It allows you to kind of build whatever foundation you're trying to build. Our governor, you know, Ron DeSantis, who I firmly believe, especially right now, that he's going to be the next president because he's been doing all of the necessary things to maintain relevancy. And what happened in the midterms further solidified that. And it's almost like people don't learn, uh, but the signs are all there. And to me, on the left, in particular, the populist left, everything is about labor. I mean, all of it. And there's no more clear example of that than what just happened with Southwest Airlines. 
I mean, to me, yeah, I mean, again, you've got the you've got the pure punching bag of the corrupt Democratic establishment, which is Pete Buttigieg. He's made it clear that he is just a complete yes man for the political career that he hopes for. You definitely want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. The Pete Buttigieg thing. Don't. Yeah. And so the fact that he was given warnings for months by these crews and these individuals who kept telling him there's going to be a crisis here. Don't know how big, but it's not going to be good. We have an outdated uh, tracking system. We have underpaid, understaffed and overworked employees and the shareholders are getting all of the money. (laughs) Eventually, it's going to break. The question is when? Well, it broke at the worst possible time. And the funniest part of it all is the mindlessness that comes into this whole two-party divide where there are people who, they're not supporters of Pete Buttigieg. They're fans, or in many cases, obsessed fans. It's so weird. And they can't hear any criticism of their dear leader. And it's very similar to the way many people conducted themselves when it came to Trump or it came to Hillary. There is this obsession that people take on. It's, it's, and again, when people think about, you know, what happened at Waco, when they think about what has happened in various parts of the country, I still remember Heaven's Gate. I was in eighth grade at the time. And I remember the purple robes and the black Nikes and they all drank the poison. And you're thinking, well, how the hell does this happen? Well, people gravitate towards certain types of personalities and in politics, it is the most devastating. But seeing this clear as day, what is the biggest problem in our society today? Corporate special interests control our government and hence control our society. One of the biggest pawns in the whole equation is this male Pete who just does exactly, I mean, literally does exactly as he's told because he has aspirations of wanting that specific title. How people Mm -hmm. can't see past that, I don't know, but these catastrophes just get bigger and bigger Uh and bigger. You had what Biden did to the railroad workers. Well, look at what Buttigieg just did to airline travelers. I would say that that's pretty damn serious and all in the name of corporate greed. Your thoughts? You know, you hit the nail on the head. And I think that what where that stems from is political discourse in this country has been severely handicapped and destroyed. Uh, I'll use big adjectives for that uh, by our political media and by our journalism, because you don't have there. It's so funny when I watch the, you know, especially cable news where they talk about the tribalization of America and we're split into these two, you know, followers of one party over the other and things like that, you know, like what you're describing where there's just this blind faith that no matter what party leaders do, whether it's Mayo Pete or Donald Trump or DeSantis or whatever, they're always right. They're always right. I have to back my guy. I believe that stems from the fact that we've turned political reporting and and political journalism uh, into sports sports in sports entertainment they've taken the model of bspn that you have to root for your home team do or die regardless if they're good or bad uh and that's it you're a home you're you got to be a homer you know and and that's where i think you have that kind of blind faith that no matter what our side's good the other side's evil we can't criticize criticize our side because then that's somehow giving the other side power uh which is ridiculous um, 
you know, and I think that 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 mechanism, the media has kind of turned our political debates into of this kind of ESPN style, get on there. Here's the right. Here's the left. Here's Democrat. Here's Republican. Here's the topic. You two battle it out and fight Um, that filters into society. That's what we learn. That's where we learn our political discourse from is, is what we see on TV or what we read. And tragically, uh, we're now faced with a gener- with, with, with what happens when a generation, that's all they get for political discourse is, is how is that's all that they're being fed is this is how you talk politics. This is how you discuss issues. You turn it into a left and right issue and then you put one side's bad, one side's good. It's very easy. It's very simple. It's not complex. Uh, why? Because we have to get, we can't make it complex because man, we were sandwiched in between commercials and we got to cut the break. Uh, so let's just, just talk about the very base level of this on a, on a, on a just, you know, uh, nat brain style level of, of very complex issues that affect all of us, but let's turn it into something small and let's turn it into sound bites. Um, and that's where I think that that comes from. And that's where I think you have this this very bizarre belief system now that if you criticize the party that you most associate with in any way, somehow that empowers the enemy. It doesn't. You have to hold people accountable regardless of what of, of what their political party is, even if you are part of that party. That's the only way you get honest government. And But instead right now, as you eloquently laid out, you have just a lot of lemmings who are so I, I don't know if 2016 and the and the Trump thing just so frightened the left to such a degree uh that that's what drove them into this. Cause I mean it fe- it feels a lot more I like fear based call them the left. So yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I I, I, I use that very loosely and just using it as an example. The, we we'll call it the liberal centers, whatever. Mm-hmm. But basically, mm-hmm. you know, the people who live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul suburbs, you know, that th- those people. But yeah. that's who yeah. it is. And, and the thing is, yeah. is that they're the most, because they live a very comfortable life mm-hmm. and their status, as you've pointed out before, in society is very important to them, much like an elected mm-hmm. official. Yes. Their involvement in politics is so exceedingly higher than the average person if you were rating it on a scale of one to 10, where the average person follows politics at like a two or a three, they're at like an eight or a nine. Like mm-hmm. they, a lot of their life is kind of wrapped up in it. They'll always vote. And mm-hmm. they are when you talk to them about why they think Joe Biden, when I hear people say Joe Biden is the greatest president in like a generation. <laughs> Who says that? I don't even want to know. That are people that are benefiting from this economy as it stands today, Mm -hmm. where it is Mm -hmm. basically status quo across the board, especially in light of the pandemic we just went through the past several years. Yeah, to them, he's the greatest that they could have ever hoped for. Who gives a damn about working people? It's not my problem. In their mind, they it's always these people who will rationalize this idea that it's very much like the libertarian conservative viewpoint of it's your fault. If yeah. you're not succeeding, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. So I have sympathy and I'll donate to this charity here and there. But at the end of the day, you're on your own. And if you can't figure it out, well, I am not sacrificing this quaint privileged life that I have. I will 
I, I will do woke gestures to make it seem like I care. But economic populism is the order of the day, and it's coming to this country one way or the other. But as we've often said, if it comes through Bernie, it'll come peacefully. And if it comes through Trump, it's going to come violently. So choose wisely because you can't drink oil and you can't eat money. They already chose. And I, I actually think the thing where people are like having admiration for Biden, I don't even think it has anything to do with them putting any thought into it. I think it's they're just team blue and they're sycophants. And the people that that when I see people in the circles down here that are sending out emails praising him on averting a railroad strike and all this stuff, they're not doing it because they're actually sitting there and calculating their life has been better because of Biden. They don't think that. They're just team blue and they're sycophants. And I think it's just yeah. very tribal and they're not putting any thought into it at all because if anybody was putting thought into it, they would realize that it doesn't really matter who's sitting there, which brings us full circle. Either you're in the class of people that does well or you're in the class of people that does not. And that's yeah. it doesn't matter who's sitting in the Oval Office. Oh, without a doubt. And, and don't for a minute think that the destruction of the middle class wasn't done on purpose, not just for the stealing of wealth, but also you have to remember is that the middle class is where real change lies oftentimes. Because they're the people with enough free time and enough uh, money and, and, and enough time to educate themselves on the reality of issues, not just what they're spoon fed. So you can't have a thriving middle class if you're talking about wanting to control the country like an oligarchy. You know, if you have a thriving middle class, you're talking about people coming out of that middle class who have enough time to pay attention because they have the free time to do it. Um, you know, a blue collar worker today or somebody working three, four jobs just to pay the bills, they don't have time in their day. At the end of their day, all they want to do is just, I need to relax. I, if I can get a little sleep before I got to go work my third shift, uh, I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my family. I got to do that. Whereas when you have a thriving middle class where you have people with free time, well, guess what? People with free time and with money and they feel generally secure, they're going to enact change because they will have the time and energy to really get beyond just what they're being spoon fed about an issue. And, and so I think that the gutting of the middle class and the destruction of the middle class in this country and kind of, again, stretching it out to where we have this top group of people here and then this massive group of people on the bottom uh, that's, that's where you get this kind of oligarch mentality of like, as you were referring to earlier of, of, well, I just vote team blue because I'm not affected by this. My life hasn't been hurt by this yet. You know, but where everybody else below you, their life is being ripped apart to pieces by this. But the problem is they're also not th those people now who are on the bottom, who's having their life get ripped apart. They're also not getting information in any way that tells them why. And so then when they look to leaders to say, well, God, yeah, I know I'm getting screwed. Why am I getting screwed? Exactly. That's where it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, let's say a Donald Trump or a Ron DeSantis or whatever. And because they're just looking at who, who's doing this, who's fucking me over. And then when you get the, you know, the, the, the snake oil salesman comes along and says, oh, well, you know, blame these people south of the border, blame this section of the population. That's why, even though it's furthest thing from the truth. Uh, that's where you then suddenly have all these people that jump on board because they're looking for answers. They're not getting any from anyone else, or they've been so, you know, tragically, we've all, I don't like to separate, we've all been so dumbed down uh, by our, our discourse 
uh, when it comes to politics that we just accept these bullshit answers for problems and think, oh, well, maybe it is a right left issue. You know, or maybe it is a Democrat versus Republican issue, or maybe it is this totally ignoring the fact that, no, it's because wealth is being sucked out of your pocket and being given to the 1% or being given to this corporate oligarchy that we're living under. How is it that people cannot see the correlation? I mean, every in politics, to me, since I've been involved, it's almost always one plus one equals two. You have a crisis at the border, and it is a crisis. For this reason, you have a country that is com of complete unrest at this point. They know they're being screwed over by the corporate powers that be when it comes to having a living wage in health care. They're taking a stand and saying, we're not going to take this anymore. We know our value. We even have the ability, if they really got together and figured it out, to shut the entire economy down. So the attitude of the oligarchs is simply this. Bring in another couple of million from third world countries. They'll work for pennies on the dollar because they have nothing else. And the people who are in this country that will ultimately stoke even stronger degrees of nationalism are people that are just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. When people look at this and think, oh, they're just a but uh, we, we're very friendly with Vosh, who's a known um, political commentator, uh, YouTuber. The amount of hate I get for just liking him and liking talking to him as a person. It's bizarre to me. Like people hate you for just having an interview with someone. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, it, but the, he, had an, ridiculous. he had a fantastic take today regarding this idea that uh, it's, it's all about white men trying to protect their position. I got news for you. You've got probably, I don't know, 40, 50 million white Americans in this country who are suffering every day. And so this idea that, oh, yeah, they're really at the top of the totem pole. No, the truth of the matter is uh, you have a right populist movement in this country growing every day and they talk to the downtrodden, whereas people on the left don't. They just cast them aside and say that if you don't agree with this, that and the other thing, you're a racist, you're a misogynist, you're a sexist. Like, but. Do as we say, because, you know, we're right and they're wrong. It's and, and as he pointed out, the amount of insufferability that comes from that portion of the liberal side of politics, it turns people over to Trump and DeSantis. It really does. They don't they really neglect the whole psychological warfare that is politics in many ways. Oh, without a doubt. No. And, and that's and that's and that, you know, look, we've been going through the psychological warfare of politics since was Edward Bernays suddenly decided suddenly decided, you know, created what is modern marketing way back, uh, I think, at the turn of the century. For those of you who don't know who he is, look him up. I think his his uncle or, or cousin was was Sigmund Freud. And he basically took everything that Freud had learned about human psychology, yep. realized you can do it with groups. And then uh, I can't remember which president it was, forgive me, but the president was getting terrible ratings and, and not not a lot of people were believing in this president. They went to Bernays and said, how do we fix this? He said, go get me the top three silent movie era stars of the time, have them have lunch with the president. And they did. And suddenly his popularity went up, you know, because people, just, oh, he's associating with these people I see on TV. Oh, great. But I think what's really key is we're seeing that tide change. As much as doom and gloom as it is, I do believe that when you when you saw the populist movement of Bernie Sanders and you saw uh, in your own state of Florida that young kid who's a, who uh, won in a deeply red part for on a populist you know on a on a socialist populist you know uh, platform, he won in a deeply red state. You know, so well, I think the hunger for change is there. It's just yeah. again. It's it's they don't want you to see it. 
you know, at all. And we're going to ignore it every chance we get, or we're going to put a cute label on it. That's either scary to you or marginalizes it, you know, but I think the hunger for change is there. I just, I, I just, I, and I know it's coming because I do have hope uh, in this country. I think that, that we are going to overcome all this. Um, it's just going to be as it, you can't expect it to change overnight. And, and part of the problem is we are still a fast food based society and we expect change to happen right away. Uh, you have to have patience and you have to have diligence. You have to have vigilance. You have to put in the time and the effort. It might not change in your lifetime. You know what? That's okay because you're still pushing it towards yeah. the direction you needed to go. You have to remember the culture, government, everything in this society. It's like being on a, on an aircraft carrier. You know, you got to push the pendulum hard in a certain direction just to move it a foot. But moving it a foot is a win. And you got to take those wins. It doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you settle. But you got to keep moving and keep fighting and knowing that what you're trying to do is generational change of how politics is done in this country. It's not going to happen with one or two elections. You could you could totally have a populist, brilliant uh, leftist, uh, you know, socialist president. Still not going to change the system. It takes generational change, and we got to be ready for that. And I, and and I think we're close, though. I really do. You know, I think that I think this country is in a position where a lot of people do see the problems. They do see their wealth disappearing, and I do think that that you're going to see this change happen uh, in a, in a pretty substantial way. That we but we just have to keep believing in it. You know, we just have to put in the time and effort and work. And we and to get to your point earlier, too, we got to stop with this attitude of just because I disagree with them or they hold detestable beliefs. You have to approach people with love. You have to approach people to say, look, you might hold a detestable belief. You could be racist. I can't stand you, but I have to change your mind. You know, there's still human beings like you. No one's born a racist. No one's born an evil person. You can, you know, that that's called culture. That's called, you know, bad parenting. There's a million reasons why someone can hold a detestable view that you wildly disagree with and are completely justified in disagreeing with it. But it doesn't mean that you ostracize that person. Instead, it means you have to educate them. You have to do your best to plant the seeds to where eventually their mind will change. And they will see the error of their ways. If we keep going down this route of both sides of, oh, if you disagree with me, I'm never going to talk to you and I don't ever want to see you again. And how dare you ever even remotely approach me again? That doesn't change their opinion. That doesn't change the problem. You can pass a million laws in this country to get rid of racism. It ain't going to get rid of racism. You have to change racism through love and you have to change racism through compassion because that's the only true way you can educate somebody who holds truly detestable beliefs. You know, I'm right. sorry if I sound Pollyanna on that, but it, no, it's true. It's true. I, <laughs> I get enough crap just from talking to people that people don't politically agree with. And then the thing is, that's amazing is it's like, I'm not saying this is somebody that's like my best friend, my partner in life that I've chosen. It's, it's such a, like, um, there's no nuance anymore. Everything is all or nothing. If I go on a show that somebody doesn't like them, okay, then they, that they have to cancel me. But Okay, so I should just keep talking in my own little echo chamber then. And then if I bring someone else on that they don't like or agree with, then I'm a horrible person for platforming someone that they don't agree with. And I must be this or I must be the same as that person just because I have a conversation with them. I'm seeing it now in the chat and it's ridiculous. Not about you, by the way. He dared to mention Vosh. And of course, they all have to get going on that. And it's just so ridiculous. 
it can't you can't let it bother you because again, if there's one person who has proven that you can't allow the little things to get under your skin, it's Jesse the body Ventura. And that I thought was part and parcel the opportunity that was missed in 2020 by the Green Party that decided your father was not pure enough to run on their ticket. So let's put Howie Hawkins up and get the lowest vote total the Green Party in a presidential election, I believe, ever did. So that mistake was made. Now, how well would Jesse have done if he was the Green Party nominee? No, he wasn't going to win. But could he have gotten 5% of the vote? Yeah, I think he could have gotten 5% of the vote. As a matter of fact, I think if he did choose to run in 24, in whatever capacity that may look like, especially at a time when we absolutely must have a labor movement uprising in this country, uniting all corners of working people in the United States, I think Jesse Ventura is the best vessel to make that happen. How do you see that? Um, <laughs> I, Sorry, I, I had to put you on the spot. No, no. I mean, I completely agree that we need more people like my father. I completely agree with that. Is my father the best vessel for it in 2024? Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think the the you know, I, my, my dad's 70, 72 years old now. Um, I love my father and I will support him in everything he does. But to be perfectly honest, we need to get youth. We need to get people who aren't 72 years old running for president anymore. And as much as I'd love to see my dad come through and, and, and wreck shop and, and, and win and, and get, you know, 15, 20, 25 percent of the vote, uh, change the dynamic of what we're talking about. I would love to see my father debate Donald Trump and Joe Biden just or, you know, or whoever the, the, the two parties want to throw up there against him. That would be one of the greatest uh, viewing pleasures of all my life. But I was actually day, thinking Ken versus Mayo Pete would be one of the best things I would ever see. And in and, fact, I was thinking that oh, before. I'm sorry. Like and that DeSantis, be, if it ends up being if it ends up being Pete and DeSantis running, I mean, yeah. it would be a fantastic debate. But at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to be ageist here, but at the end of the day, I'm really tired of seeing a presidencies being, you know, people running for president mm -hmm. who are over the age of 70. The same way that I don't like seeing people who are. Um, uh, I don't like seeing lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I really think that despite the fact that right now we're in a situation where there isn't a lot of, uh, I mean, look, I'll, I'll take somebody who's, you know, one of the leaders that is out there right now, like a Chris Smalls, that would be willing to just challenge the president because the fact that we're not even talking about the horrendous decision made by this president regarding the railroad workers and what that represents and the precedent that that sets for not just Republicans, but Democrats as well, to say that it's okay to keep standing on labor because we don't want to inconvenience people who are living comfortably is just insane. And so the big issue here is, well, is there any real name recognition out there? And I think the fact that your father is a known, I hate saying it this way, but is a known commodity in the political arena and wouldn't be starting from zero. I think that he could generate, especially if he just basically ran sort of like a Eugene Debs, Teddy Roosevelt type of campaign, especially at a time where this country desperately needs it. I know that they will move heaven and earth 
at the very top to stop him in every which way possible. But I do think, as you were saying before, I think we're closer to a breakthrough than many people actually believe. Because the night is always darkest before the dawn. It always has been. History has always proven that. But ultimately, it will come down to how he feels if he thinks that there is an opportunity, if he feels that it's, uh, you know, there's going to be an opportunity with one of the additional parties outside of the two-party system. Although we did have, I will say, we did have Kim Iverson on our show, and she actually does want to see her father run, but she actually thinks he should run in the Democratic primary, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but I think that there's just this yearning, if you will, to see something extraordinary happen because I think we're ready for it. I think we're ready for a competent Ross Perot type situation. I think what a lot of people forget about when Ross Perot ran for president is that he didn't really know what he was doing. He had his infomercials on late at night, but in terms of campaign strategy and all that stuff, he didn't have any of it. And he still got 20% of the vote. Imagine if there was somebody who was willing to have this barnstorming type campaign. I think your father would be excellent at it. And and I would, you know, just for the, oh, even I, though I'm a Democrat, I, I would love to see it. Well, I, I think, I think we're all hungry for, for those candidates like my father and others who, when you hear them speak, you know that they're speaking from the heart and for what they believe to be true. Even, even if you disagree with like, let's say 20% of their platform or, or even 30% of their platform, I will take somebody who, I might disagree with on a few issues of what they believe in, but if the bulk of what they what they're saying really speaks to me, uh, and I know they're saying it from from their heart as opposed to what's popular or opposed to what you know where where their donors come from and things like that, I will take that candidate. And when we come across those candidates, we have to support them with everything we can. Um, we have, and and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier: is we've got to get out of this divisive way of thinking that. <laughs> You know, just because somebody might might make one bad decision that we then, well, then they're not pure. You know, no one's yeah. pure. You're never going to find the perfect candidate. You're never, you're not, you just aren't. You cannot appease all people. Uh, there's also a lot of roadblocks you have to overcome. One of them is the Electoral College. I believe that especially for presidency, we abolish the Electoral College. It's an antiquated system that doesn't need to be around anymore. Uh, and we should go off just the popular vote. At the end of the day, uh, you know, the Democrats and Republicans, because of what you talked about earlier with Ross Perot, they set the bar on a presidential level almost impossible for a third party candidate to even get noticed. Now, if somebody runs and does a hostile takeover like we saw with Donald Trump, that's a route. You know, if, if, if somebody can go in and take a do a hostile takeover of, of the of the Democrats, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders came close. But, you know, even Bernie my dad spoke with Bernie uh, when he was here in Minnesota campaigning the first time round. And my dad point blank asked him, he didn't have a lot of time, but he point blank asked him, if you lose, will you start a third party movement? You know, if you lose this nomination, will you take the millions of followers that you have and go third party, go independent, like the, what's next to your name? And he said, no, no, I'll support Hillary 100%. And so we have to get, you know, there's a lot of different routes to, to doing the presidency, but yeah. you, you either are going to have to take over the Democrats or you're going to have to enact a lot of change between now and then on an election, on changing how we do our elections in this country. Um, I know I don't I'm not completely sold yet on Andrew Yang and the forward party and all of that. I know that they're basic. You know, they keep asking, what's your platform? What's your platform? And. They did give an interesting response is that our only platform 
is that we're going to elect people who will change the voting system in this country to be more inclusive rather than exclusive, to make it easier for third parties to get access uh, to politics and drugs. If they keep that message and they become almost like a political action committee, more more so than a party, uh, which is kind of what they are. Uh, yeah. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, it yeah. kind of does. It does seem like yeah. that's the direction it's going. And that's where they're going. I don't know if I'm going to get behind them with all their candidates, but if they stay true to their word and they get candidates in office who are going to change the way that the election system works and make it more friendly to third party candidates, uh, that's great. Good for them. I hope that they succeed in that. Um, the other thing I think that's important for us as a society is we have to get out of the American Idol aspect of only paying attention to federal national politics. We have to get out of this idea that oh, yeah. it's the presidency is what we pay attention to every four years or, or the Congress and things like that. Yes, it's important to pay attention to that. But at the end of the day, if you want to see real change in your life on a political level that it truly affects you, you have to go local and state. You know, the, they, the decisions made at local level and state level directly affect you right away. And if we're talking about changing how this system is going to be done, you know, changing the direction of this country for a way that, that's friendlier and actually lifts up the working class rather than puts their, you know, boot on their neck all the time, uh, you have to build a ground base. And the way you build that base is local and state. Because if you, you can't just cut off, you can't go right for the head. You're never going to stop that. You've got to start at, at the ground level and build that change from there. And that's that's your that's your local politicians. Okay. That's the whole thing. I really think that this conversation is I, th I think all these conversations that we have are vital. But I think that the conversations that we have surrounding the labor movement is what is going to allow us to break through the barrier that is in our way right now. All too often, people are looking at these things through a lens that makes absolutely no sense. But you happen to come from the part of the country that I think has the most clear understanding of what needs to be done. The upper Midwest typically gets this right more often than not. Minnesota is a fantastic example of that because it was the only state that saw through Reagan. Um, it was also a state that elected a independent as governor and was very popular. And Minnesota is not a small state, it's a big state. Now, granted, it doesn't have the population of Florida, but to cover that kind of terrain, it's pretty freaking hard, especially when it's freezing cold 75% of the year. So I think, thinking about what has worked in Minnesota, what has worked in Iowa, what has worked in Wisconsin, what has worked in Michigan, what has worked, used to work, I should say, in West Virginia and Kentucky, and for a while, Ohio, and states like that. I think a lot of that could be brought back again, but having that clear-cut understanding of the bridge that must be formed with labor is absolutely necessary, like you said. You know, when, when I think about the Teamsters Union probably being one of the best examples, and we had on a gentleman who was uh, one of the heads of the Teamsters in the state of Florida, you know, he made it very clear that I've got as many Bernie supporters as I do Trump supporters in my local. And one thing that never changes is that when we're in the union, we are brothers. We are fighting for a living wage. We are fighting for universal health care. We are fighting for paid sick leave. We are fighting for the type of opportunity that every American 
I would believe would love to have if they could. And so once you can bridge that gap and bring people together that way, and it can happen everywhere. I mean, we know how corrupt union bosses are, but the union rank and file, the workers, they're united. I mean, we had the, the, we had the railroad workers united on our podcast and they made it very clear. The workers are united but there's too many divisions, there's too many bosses, too many leaders, that's a huge, huge problem. And so now it's really just a matter of what do we do to bring everybody together? Do we need a vessel like a Jesse Ventura in order to make it so? Maybe, maybe not, but bottom line, like you said, presidents will come and go, but the labor movement can grow and grow and grow. And that to me, in my opinion, is how we take the next step. Uh, Your final thoughts as we close out. I, I do agree with you. I think that, you know, I think it, it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, superstar politics, you know, finding that that and it's great when you have those great voices out there that can really encapsulate what we're all thinking and feeling. But, you know, truth is the work has to come and the effort has to come on that grassroots local level, uh, whether it's through unions, whether it's through organizing, things of that nature. Because look, the more the more you organize against what's being done against you and, and, and the more you protest it, that's the other thing too, man. We gotta get more people out protesting, especially at the economic yeah. disparities in this country. You know, and and you got to get more people. I, you know, we need more strikes. We need more of that kind of organization to really send shockwaves uh, through the system. I mean, if it, look, if, if if tomorrow FedEx workers decided, you know what? Ah, to hell with it. We're not going to work until we get a living wage. We're not going to work until we see universal health care. We're not going to work till we see you know some of those points you laid out. That'll stop the country in its tracks. You know, you you saw what happened. You saw the power of what was going on with people who were unionizing at Amazon. They will do everything they can to stop that. Why? Because they're afraid of it. It's not because of, of uh, you know, the bullshit excuses that they use. They don't want you to have a living wage. Why? Because if you have a living wage, then you have, as I mentioned earlier, the time to enact change, the time to right. educate yourself, the time and things like that. So, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I think that we definitely need an inclusive you know, groundswell of change in this country. And I see it coming. I have a lot of faith and belief in the millennials. I have a lot of faith and belief belief in Gen Z. I think it's an overlooked fact that we're about to see the biggest transfer of wealth generationally that this this world has ever seen as the boomers age out and, and, and that. So we have to be ready for that. And I think that you do have a youth in this country that is ready and willing to make real change in this country uh, and, and, and fight to make their lives better and fight to bring back that, uh, that fancy dream that, that was once the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that the youth are going to see through the BS, the Gen Z, even the millennials, I, I think that they're, they're seeing through the crap a lot quicker than other generations of years past. And maybe because they get the sense that th- there is a sense of urgency right now. We have to act. And that yeah, well, probably... The, the- these are, we got to remember, these are two generations that not only lived through the 2008 financial crisis, uh, they also are living through the, the effects of climate change. They feel, they feel directly what's happening. You know, and and so I, I do have a lot of faith in them. I really do, and I think that I think that we just have to stay vigilant. You just have to keep fighting, uh, and and that's the only way you're going to get it. You're going to get real change in this country. But like I said again, it starts 
at your local city council. It starts uh, on a state level. That's where you can make real positive change right away and 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 keep fighting for that. And, and you know, and I like I said, you have to start you, you have to start truly getting out of divisiveness and have to start looking at, look, we're all we're all one. We're all humanity. We're all on a small blue planet traveling millions of miles an hour through the through the through the you know, through the void. And we have to realize how precious that is. And we have our disagreements and we have things that we detest and what some people believe. But you, in order to change those belief systems, you've got to start talking to people. We can't continue to go down this path of, you know, I hate you because you disagree with me. And that's for both sides. You know, I'm tired of seeing I'm yeah. tired of seeing that. We got it. We got to start unifying on that. and We got to start changing minds. I think you're going to see it, though. I do have a lot of hope. I'm glad to hear it. I, I, I go through days where I'm more hopeful than others. And I find that a lot of the fighting and the nastiness that we have is amongst our own people, um, more so than for me feeling like, oh, I have to fight against the right. We spend so much, like we don't even get to that point because we're trying to like cut through to even get to where we can do that. And the left just likes to eat its own. Yeah, that's a big part of the problem is knowing that, uh, but I also don't think people have necessarily attempted to form this bridge, if you will, mm -hmm. in from a labor perspective. A lot of people initially post Bernie had this idea that we're going to take over the Democratic Party. No, the Democratic Party takes you over. It doesn't work that other way. What you could do is build a movement outside of the Democratic Party that becomes so powerful that they have no choice but to come to you. And that's the goal. It's the way it's worked throughout history. It's how it happened under FDR. It wasn't like he just magically decided, I'm going to give people social security. It's these things that get built up over time. Like you said, could take two years, take 20 years. But we have to start getting better at our strategy. And history has shown that there is a way forward. We can follow the, the, the tools are there for us to follow. So hopefully that will be the case. Please let everybody know how they can find you, your work. Yes, obviously, die first, die first and quit, and quit on, on Substack. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the easiest way to find me. we got a lot of big stuff lined up for this year. I, I can't wait to, to unveil it uh, to everybody. It's going to be a really fun year in the, in the world of Jesse Ventura and myself. And, you know, I wrote an article recently pinpointing the, the heart of the American, you know, the American heart of darkness. And really it comes down to two simple things. Every political issue that we have, every divisive thing in this country, everything at the root of everything is greed and narcissism. And so as we enter into this new year, do your best on an individual level to try to end any kind of feelings of greed and narcissism you may have, because that's truthfully, I think, where a lot of our problems reside as a society and culture, that we are too narcissistic and we are very greedy uh, on all levels. And and and, sure. and so we have to stamp out those two issues to really move forward and and make this uh, make this life the wonderful, wonderful thing that it can be. Greed is the deadliest sin and pride is greatest just before the fall. So with that said, Tyrell Ventura, please say hi to Pop. We really thank appreciate you so much on. for coming on. You have a great oh, voice. I think I said yeah. that to you the last time you were on. You really do. Like he has a good voice, but you have a really good voice. Yeah, my voice sucks compared to yours. No, I <laughs> but I mean just a really good, I mean, it makes sense that you would be doing podcasting. Like you would be you'd be a really good like audiobook person. Oh, hey, man, I'm ready. Send me the books. I'll, I'll read you lullabies. I'm all set.
Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Tyrell. Hey, listen, Thank man, you very you much, survived, everybody. You, su- you survived Los Angeles. If any, if you could do that, then <laughs> hey, you know, anything's possible. Appreciate your brother. I, I, Happy New Year. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye. Yes, he's lovely. I think we've got ourselves a slow connection this evening. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be slow. No, I, it's, it's, uh, well, it's not the connect. That's a different type of connection. That's the internet connection. But in terms of the connection itself for the, the actual, uh, computer. I don't, I don't, I I don't think that's a thing. Well, just thought. I don't think that's a thing. So for anybody out there who clearly has a problem with Jen and is continuing to go to the same (laughs) old tropes that have been there for the past several years and keeps insisting. But what is it that they're referring to? I mean, I saw you had said to me that some video came out, but did you then say something about it? I never said anything. Because I don't know why their panties are all the I don't know why you're saying it again, because I told you I didn't, and you keep bringing it up, and I don't appreciate it. All right? I didn't say anything. Okay. So- I, I would say, look, people have their reasons for not liking Jen. No one has to like Jen, but unfortunately, there's always going to be people. And and again, what's what I find, um, uh, what I find so unbelievably crazy. Uh, and thanks, Rob. I did not know that. That's definitely one of the uh, more. Uh, that's terrible. Well, yeah, apparently, somebody on Monday Night Football. Uh, uh, died from cardiac arrest. Um, but we're, we're, we are grateful for anybody that comes to our channel that wants to hear what we have to say. That feels that. <laughs> no, I haven't watched the video. You know, and we're not going to, and, and, and power to the to. people. We're not going to, we're not, we're not, we're not going to watch it. But what's so funny so is that matter. somebody who so dislikes me and thinks I have nothing important to say, but they hang out here. So it's just so funny. I don't, I, I say, don't understand it. And, and it's just and such I, personal crap. And, and I will say something, and I will say this. It's so funny. No one is entitled to watch your video and the fact that you feel the need to come here guys please go watch it please go ahead go watch their video do, that, do them a favor tell me let what me it tell says you, let me I don't tell know. you they're desperate for views so they need you to go watch it so go watch it <laughs> the difference between and i don't know about jen but the difference between me and a lot of other people that are in this racket known as politics i don't care what you say about me or think about me at all at all. I can assure you that's true. But the thing is, what's even funnier, and I've said this on this show so many times, guys, he does the social media. So when you put stuff up there and you're like arguing into the ether, I'm not even may seeing I? it. May I? I don't know. It's just so may ridiculous. I? Yeah. Yeah. Please. Who cares? Who cares? But why do you need who to ca- t- tell like, me that? Who cares? <laughs> you think this is going to help you and whatever your cause is? You think somebody like us are privileged? You want to see what privilege look like? looks like? I could show you what privilege really is because I've seen it, and I'm sure you haven't, whoever you are. <laughs> they just want to I've hate seen, me. I've seen privilege that would make your head spin. I have spoken with and been in the presence of Donald Trump and a lot of people you would never imagine. The people who really have privilege and run the show. I ain't You it. think we're privileged? And here's what's so what's so ridiculous. Seriously, I am privilege. But it's here's just, the thing. You know, again, here's why I would here's what I would say to you. If you truly believe that your mission, whatever your mission is, is best served by being on here and criticizing me, that somehow that will better your mission. By all means, have at it. I think that there must be better uses of your time and energy than hating on me 
And it's just, I just don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. People like me will get people killed. You know, I, it just, please take your hyperbole somewhere else. I'm and I will say, interested. and I'm going to say one thing because Silly. clearly, because clearly whoever's writing this and Lord knows it could be Sam. Uh, I don't know. No, I have written I don't do emails it. asking about co collaboration and things like that. If you feel the need in the political world, and I'm going to tell you how it works in the real world, because I'm in the business world and I have, I may be young, but I've seen a lot. And I can assure you of this. If you have a problem with somebody and you need to discuss things with them, you discuss things with them on a personal level. You send them an email, you send them a text message, you deal with them that way. Going out and making a video, basically trying to knock them or tell them that they're bad or whatever. And then by the way, go and watch my video because it's so damn important. I don't know where you get your social skills <laughs> from, but they're that, not good. And that then say that I'm that like way. click chasing or whatever. You're literally on here promoting your stuff, which I have no idea. The fact idea. that you have to send somebody here, which I still don't believe because I'm sure whoever is doing this in the chat is one of the people who made this video. So if you feel that it's that important you guys, to come after our channel. Guys, go watch their video. If I didn't know Let's any better, if I, oh, sorry. if I didn't know any better, I would think you were trying to get Tim Pool's attention with the amount of people that are watching that channel. Our channel is doing very, very limited business at best. <laughs> but you are acting like our channel is somehow a colossal big show that has tremendous influence over people. And apparently what we promote on our show is bad stuff. So apparently promoting equal rights through a labor movement is bad. No, but this, you see me, you see me, don't think we're afraid. Ooh, Who cares? Stop care. responding to it. Why do you get to? Because I'm, because. Because he does his social because, media. Uh, no, it's not just that. It's because. I have your back and I need you to stay the fuck out of this stuff. That doesn't sound very nice. I'm just telling you, it's not worth it. I find it kind of amusing. You don't find it amusing. It gets under your skin as far no, as No, it, it, I find it interesting that somebody who hates me spends so much time here. No, I find the it only thing sad that, the that The only I'm thing that I do find interesting is that I'm willing to bet that if I went to any other channels, any other channels, and I'm talking about ones that are actually in the fight for one good reason or another, you know, it could... And I, and I know Don Johnson is just having fun. And Don, you're not a doorknob. We're having fun, okay? You want to joke around. I, we know it's in jest. But there are channels. We're not talking about you. Yeah. There are people that go around <laughs> and will say what they're saying to Jordan Chariton. They'll say what they're saying to Jamal Thomas. They will, people will go to these channels and they'll say things. But I guarantee you, I've seen enough to know that they don't spew crap like this. They just don't. Now, for whatever reason, you are given this type of grief. I, I don't know what it is. I think that there is a hint I of- I must be a racist. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not even that. It's like there's a difference between, it's listen, people cut, it's like Declan. Like we have trolls. We have people that I don't will mind say, Declan. yeah, well, there's people who will say stupid stuff. We get that. But when you literally come on here like a borderline crazy person and post a dozen times within two minutes, that's not normal behavior. And clearly whatever it is that's really upsetting you, you have to think about what that really is. What is triggering you? Yes, that's the word. Because it's really sad. It's not healthy. It really isn't. I can assure you it's not. Like if I were some really powerful person 
that really could like I would get that, yeah. but you have a lot of rage about just it's like, and if by the way, I'm not that privileged. And if you I, wanted you to come I on am, here, just what? if you wanted to come on here and say uh that uh oh, I don't like Jen or Jen's a racist, okay. If you wrote that one time, maybe two times, I'll even give you three. Okay, fine. You want to make your point? You don't like Jen. But it's still not constructive Let me criticism. Please finish. If that was your point, that's okay. But you've done it like 25 times. That's not normal. So think about that. If you're trying to make a point, don't know what it is, and frankly, don't care what it is, but think before you ultimately just go on this crazy rampage, because I can assure you that the people who watch our channel may not agree with everything that we say, but I don't think they think that we're evil people trying to hurt others. They may not agree with our takes. They may not even agree with some of our stances. And I'm an opportunist. To what end? To what end? We're just trying to help. Like, I don't get, like, I don't understand why someone, like, you have an awful lot of hate and rage to someone who doesn't have any power. Now let's transition. Don, we don't hate Jimmy. No. But I will assure you that the biggest reason we don't like Jimmy is because Jimmy is not as honest as you think he is. And I will explain to you why. So and by the way, I'm going to preface this with Peter speaks for himself. I have nothing to say one way or the other about Jimmy. I don't care one way or the other. Jimmy came down to South Florida to Doral, as a matter of fact. It's a nice, I would say it's a nice improv studio. You know, nice place to see a show. We saw Michael Rappaport there recently, which yes, was Yes, we did. And the room holds about, what would you say, four or 500 people, give or take? Mm, yeah, like I that. mean, it, yeah. So Jimmy came down here to do his show, and he knew, and this was, keep in mind, this was in December of 2018. He's told he this story this. a lot of times. Okay. So Jimmy comes down here, does this show for two hours, and I shit you not. And keep in mind, Jimmy and I know each other personally, and I let him know that Jen and I were in the, were in the audience, and that Jen was very like. Uh, well, it wasn't no, it wasn't December of 2018, but it was in an early part of 2019. Let's it was say. in it was in February 2019. Okay, so we go to the show, and he knows that Jen's there, and we're not far from the stage. We're basically in the first booth section. That's maybe. 25, Nobody's too stage. far from this. Stage. But point is, he spends two hours doing a show and spends an hour talking about Debbie Wasserman Schultz. He had three different segments specifically devoted to her. Not once during the course of that show or even towards the end of it, did he mention the fact that Jen was in the audience, is going to be running against Debbie Wasserman Schultz for Congress, didn't decide to do that. But he did make a point to have Tim Canova stand up and take a bow to the audience, which was a complete slap in the face to Jen. And to anybody who actually gives a damn about whether or not you want to get somebody as vile and disgusting as Debbie Wasserman Schultz out of politics, and you can't for one goddamn second mention that she's there, you've got 500 people in that audience, and you can't say that the lady who's running against Debbie is there, who knows, maybe 25 or 30 people might have signed up to volunteer and help us. It's not like we were swimming in loot and we ran a very hard, aggressive grassroots campaign, the type of stuff that Jimmy talks about all the time. But in the moment he had, he had an opportunity to make a difference, and he spit it up. And on top of everything else, Jen gave him a very nice gift that she should never have given him in the first place. Which was even after the fact. But again, I, this is me speaking for himself. I, I really haven't, I mean, <clears throat> after that show, I just realized what he was about and that I realized that he does not share my mission. And I just didn't, like, I, but I don't really pay attention to him one way or the other. 
Like I don't, I don't care. And when people want to know about the social media, our social media is generational change. It's not my personal social media. It's generational change. 99% of the time, he and I agree on issues. We don't necessarily agree on how to word things and on delivery. And sometimes I don't love that. But like 99% of the time, he and I agree on how we like our stand and our position on issues. So him doing the social media is never, there have been like a couple of things in few years where I've said, yeah, I don't know that I would have said that, but for the most part. And so, yeah, I don't want to do that. And the reason I don't want to do it is I don't want to deal with people like that. I just don't. And you know what? The one thing they're right about in terms of privilege, it is my privilege that I don't have to. That's the privilege I have is that I don't have to be on social media and deal with people hating me just to hate me. Um, It's just such a waste of my brain space. So I, I, that's just not how I choose to spend my time. And Peter handles it for our, for our business, which is, again, it's generational change. It's not Jen Perlman. I do realize that some of our social media might have that. Does it still have Jen Perlman? No, we've changed all of them, but it is not my personal account. I don't have one anymore, or I think it might exist. But if you look, I don't think I've posted anything in like a year and a half. So that's the story with social media. And Don. What I can tell you is that an independent is not winning in this district. An independent is not winning just about anywhere. Sometimes we have to use strategy. Mm -hmm. And in a district that is gerrymandered like ours, Mm -hmm. that strategy of third party Mm -hmm. is a complete waste of time. It just is. It's a complete waste of time. And ultimately what ended up happening, Don, and I can assure, and I can tell you this on good authority, is that. Tim was going behind the Oh, scenes. not at the time that we had that thing. No, 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 he wasn't running. And I had asked him if he was planning on running before he even decided to run. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter because for Tim, he believed he was entitled to that seat and decided that Jen was actually a paid operative who was actually with Debbie, among other things. And George Soros. And apparently. George Soros is donating to our campaign. Yeah. yeah. Where was that money? And so ultimately, there were people, uh, including somebody who was pretty influential and a very uh, frequent uh, high-end almost donor for the Democratic, uh, non-corporate Democratic candidates, who had to come and apologize after the election to say, look, I was wrong. I made a mistake, and I listened to things that Tim Canova said, which were not true. Of course not. And so that, in many ways... um, Okay, Don, he supported Tim when Tim was running in the primary. Tim ran against her as a Democrat in the primary in 16. Tim is, was a Democrat that he ran in the primary against her. In 18, he tried it, to do it as a third party. It didn't work, okay? But Jimmy Dore supported him when he ran against her in the primary as a Democrat. So I don't, I, just seriously, just you, you stop. It's like, you know. We're all going to hell in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> And we're not getting off this ship that's heading in that direction unless we all figure out a way to work together and not try to cut each other up at the knees. Now, if you're willing to learn or are willing to agree that it is necessary, that this is how it's done. Wait, I'm sorry. This one's not... Oh, that's not what it is. It's that. What is it? It's the RoboCop picture. Ah, I see. It's I see. vibrating. Okay. So if you can all agree that we're in trouble and that things are not going well in this country, then I think you can agree that if you watch our body of work, I think you can clearly see that our intention is 
much as to the chagrin of Declan likes to say, <laughs> we're not looking for the insider trading, trading corporate cash. cash. That's not what we're trying but to I, do. But he's, I don't know, he's a friendly troll. I just don't like it when he's mean to our guests. Yes, that's different. And he will say You very guys can't be mean to the guests. Stuff. But again, look, if we had like a couple of hundred people watching live at any one time, we probably wouldn't even notice that type of crap. Although right. maybe that would just require the person to type a lot faster and copy and paste and post constantly. I don't know. But that's spam. But we get there. It's so, but again, but they sit there and take the time to hate watch. It's so weird. Like I don't watch people that I don't like. Like if I don't like somebody, I unsubscribe. I stop watching there. It's like the people that hate watch. It's so bizarre to me. I, I just, I don't, I feel sad. Like this is why we have serious problems. We have some serious problems. Your trough is already small enough that most people can't even see it. You want to continue to push people away? Try it. It won't work. Just like there are people who think that, oh, we don't agree with, Vosh. I don't agree with Vosh regarding what, uh, regarding Bashar al-Assad in Syria. I don't agree with Vosh regarding Ukraine. Does no. that mean I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? No, I'm not. Because when it comes to domestic issues in particular, Vosh is as close to spot on as it gets. Uh, this is the same person who raised $400,000 for Palestinian children. He raised almost the equivalent for the Ukrainian people. And while I don't necessarily agree with his politics on everything, mm. I think that he is in this for, for good reasons. And I think that he is a net positive. And I, again, people want to, it's everybody is a straw man. There's no nuance. Everybody just wants to throw you in one whole category or another. And everybody's so into labels. And it's just so ridiculous. We're just people. I'm not going to agree with him on everything. I think he's generally a net positive. I've seen him do some really cool things and in, in how he has allocated and what he has spent his time raising money for. And I find that to be a net positive. So, and I just like him. And I think he's a smart person to talk to. That doesn't mean that, first of all, even it's not like he's running for president and I'm endorsing him. And so he's just a guy that has a show that I think is a nice guy trying to help some people. That's all. I don't agree with him on everything. We're not best friends. I just think he's fun to talk to. Don? It's not complicated. Don, if you're paying attention I specifically said that when it comes to foreign policy, I have major, we have major yeah. disagreements with He Bush. just said that. You're not listening. So if you want to play that game and you want to be a- But he generally, you know, he in the class war that we're fighting in, in the class war that we're fighting mm -hmm. in, where we're the proletariat and we're fighting against the owner class, he's on our team. That's what I know. On a bright note, since you guys all want the sports rundown. Do we? The New York Giants, oh my, my New York football Giants, are going to the playoffs for the first time since 2017. It has been six years since we have been there. Brian DeBall has been an amazing first-year head coach. Daniel Jones has blossomed into the quarterback. I was always hoping he could be. Saquon Barkley, he's the man, the myth, the legend. Of course, Dexter Lawrence and – what are you doing? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I just wasn't. I, I thought you were doing. I apologize. Uh, uh, Kevon Thibodeau, uh, Landon Collins coming back, shoring up our defense. See, you're losing viewers. Absolutely incredible. Yes, of course. That's the reason why. Yeah, it's all my fault. I'm not saying it's all your fault. I'm just saying that's the time to do it. I would like to see the Bills win uh, Dirtbag Leftist. I actually think that, uh, I mean, obviously, in spite of the tragedy that happened this evening, um, if they do win, they'll likely get the number one seed. 
Um, sports segment. We should do a regular sports segment. However, I do have some interesting news that we're going to, and, and actually speaking with Tyrell made it even more clear to me that our sort, I have this idea to have a segment on our channel that will be a specifically uh, Gen, Gen Z report. And I want to call it the Gen Z report. And I'm not going to name names or anything yet, but this is something that I think would be a regular like show. It would be its own show on this channel. It would have its own time. It would be its own sort of thing. Um, but there's somebody that I'm interested that I met that I think would be a really good person to do that. And, and it's a Gen Z person. Yeah. So we are, we are looking to have basically a Gen Z report series. We're also going to be doing, I believe, uh, some potential. You're killing me, Rob. Yeah. Sorry. Some cross collaboration with, uh, uh, with Steve Grumbine. Yeah. Of I, Real yeah, Progressives. I love Steve. So we'll see what's going to happen there. He was one of the first people I ever watched him and, um, you know, the, the same progressive back when progressive actually meant something. Yeah. That was, you know, that was a long time Man, ago. Man, that word has been co-opted so bad. Oh my God. Remember, remember, uh, Deb, whatever her name, she was the same progressive and, yes. she, and I, her, it was her and Grumbine and a handful of other people. Thank you, Arlene. Thank Happy you, New Year to you Happy too. Happy New Year to you. And if firmware is still on here, you still need to email me your address. We need to send you the pencils. I have, I have pencils for you. So, so firmware. I don't know if it's formware, farmware, for, for, firmware. Firmware. I think it's something to do with like, almost like malware, like you would find on a computer. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I Sometimes I don't get a lot of those things. Like when people have certain handles that are mean something, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't or, or when. Oh, um, yeah. Debbie, Debbie referred to herself as a progressive or, in one or, of her mailers. Or Hillary. Uh, I'm a progressive that gets things done. That's, yeah. That, that's that's oh, yeah. the good she one. She gets things done. Oh, well. What do we have coming up? We have on, oh. as a matter of fact, please go to patreon.com yes, slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can support our content, which obviously is about transforming politics into service, specifically through labor. And on Wednesday, we will be speaking with the Kush Queen. Olivia, I'm very excited about this. Olivia Alexander. This Just the fact that she's the Kush Queen. She's the Kush Queen. And let me assure you, this is going to be a chill audience. And so, I will be partaking with that interview. You cannot come on my show be called the Kush Queen, and I, I, I'm going to take that liberty. Anybody who comes, anybody who's <laughs> in the chat who is acting like a complete asshat, I assure you <laughs> there will be no five-minute timeouts. It will be blocks. That's it. Please. Well, no, my thing is this. If somebody has something constructive to say, sure. please send me an email, generationalchange at gmail.com. Send us an email if you have something constructive to say. We both get the email. If you, yeah, we both get the email. If you want to um, have, like a dis if you even feel like you have something valuable to add, you want to have a discussion, I, that's great. But yeah, I mean, and also uh, the only time I block people is when they're being mean about the guest or rude about the guest. And actually that's when Declan gets put in timeout. I'll put him in timeout when he's starting to be rude yeah, about the guest. He'll start saying some really rude yeah, shit. Then I can't have it. But I don't care if you, yeah. And then for as little as $10 a month. You guys get the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker and the Lulu sticker, which by the way, farmware, you also will get a Lulu sticker because I stuck them in with the pencils when They're I sent so out the pencils. Cute. And I already sent um, the pencils out to the other people that got us their addresses. And if you so. are feeling really generous and would like to be a $25 a month patron of our channel, you, you get will get the tribalist. The he wonderful baseball way, jersey shirt because it is so comfortable. You will love it. It is excellent. And I've got one myself. In fact, I've got a couple. I'm sure you do. Yes, I do. So, 
But that said, we certainly appreciate- Wait, we have something else coming up too, don't we? We've got plenty of stuff coming up. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay, that's the only thing that you had. Okay. I'm not sure who that is. I think, who is that? Okay. You gotta, well, look her up. All right. And then I think on the 11th, do we have the 11th covered yet? Um, hold on. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know who she is either. Oh, uh, well, actually, that's going to change. We may have to do an afternoon one there. I, I, I'm going to, we, we talked about that. Um, com- yeah, but the only thing, that. yeah, that's hard. So that we'll An afternoon one is really hard to do on a Wednesday. Very hard. Just saying. Well, I said so 2.30, we'll we would work on that. So anyway, we thank you guys for listening to our pitch of how we keep the show going, which is not much, but no, every little bit small. counts. And so, but we're small, but mighty, we're small, but mighty. clearly enough to affect some people's way of thinking. So we will continue to, uh, you know, be a thorn in the side, I guess, of some people that seem to think we're really bad people, I guess. I don't know. But nonetheless, we are trying to transform politics into service. So we are going to do some additional cross collaboration. We are going to have an additional segment, the Gen Z report with do we want to? We don't no, I just, okay. we just okay. went over this. I just said this. No, I'm not going to name names. We have to, I think what we should do is invite him here on Wednesday when we do the show. Yeah. To see the, the studio and just invite him here to see it and just see what he thinks. We can do that. So we're obviously very grateful for the support from all of you guys. Thank you so much, obviously, for tuning in this evening. Uh, the conversation with Tyrell was obviously very productive. I know he's got to mind his P's and Q's when it comes to talking about his father and whether or not he's going to run for president. Uh, I think right now it's pretty much. He's the, not because there's no party that has the ballot access. Again, he said that he will. Run. There's no mystery. He said he would run if a party gave him ballot access. So there's the answer. So it, it isn't a matter of will he do it. He said he would if he had. And right now there's not a party that he can run with that has the ballot access and that you would need. So that's the problem. We will You're see killing me, Rob. Stop it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to block you. The Marlins. Yeah. Now that's definitely that's grounds for blocking. You're going to get blocked. You talk about Rob. the Marlins. No, not just sports in general. I'm going to block. No, Rob. sport. I'll, I'll be doing. I, I'm going to try to figure out where I can do a sports segment. I think I you should do it as one of them. That would be funny. Oh. You should do like Bernie does sports or something like that. That would make it totally novel. And that would somehow tie it in. No, don't do it now. We, we got to think it through. We got to think through. Fine. Don't do it now. But that would be kind of interesting. That would do like, or like build the sports or I don't know. It could be any of them. That could be the sports segment. It'd be totally well, funny. We hope you enjoyed. Thank you as always for tuning in. Please hit the like button, subscribe, share, comment, and you know, we're just trying the best we can in order to seriously people that's what we're here to do (laughs) see you wednesday bye thanks for watching if you want to support our mission to transform politics into service please like this video subscribe follow us on social media and consider joining our patreon where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content links are in the description peace out